through now? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez Louise, that was annoying. Wow. What was that was on your side, huh? You fucked that up. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can't hear you. But you can. No, hello? You really can't hear me. I'm gonna get so frustrated. I'm joking, I can't hear you. <laughs> I kind of did the intro, but now I'm wondering if I didn't do it right. Because if my micro microphone didn't work. Yeah, you probably fucked it up. <sighs> All right. Well, welcome everyone to Jordan Syatt. Thank you for coming on to my podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I've talked a little bit about you before. People know you mostly for the content that you put out on your social media, your podcast, and then of course the recent Big Mac Challenge. Uh, but today I want to jump into more of your mindset and your thought around your business as well as your life um, and kind of look at that side of things. So for people that may not be familiar, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. My name is Jordan Syatt. I uh, got into fitness because I started wrestling when I was eight years old. And from that, I made varsity as a freshman when I, made, when I went to high school. And I was cutting a lot of weight every week. And basically, I wanted to figure out how do I get stronger while losing fat? Because I was going up while getting, how do I get stronger while losing, how do I get stronger while losing fat? And um, I was a good wrestler technically, I was a good wrestler endurance wise, but going up against the older kids as a freshman, I was just like not anywhere near strength wise. So I applied to an internship at a gym near me and uh, they took me under their wing. They were incredibly science-based and I worked there when I was like 14 years old all the way through high school. And uh, that was it. I just I was hooked in the industry. I loved coaching. My first client was a sixty year old, sixty eight year old guy named Fred who had shoulder issues, and uh, he literally just wanted to pick his his grandkid up without worrying about tearing a shoulder. So uh, I just loved the coaching aspect of it, and it's just been been that ever since. So, what was your individual experience? I know that that's kind of a big topic that people are starting to discuss now is cutting weight. And what were not only the physical repercussions, but the psychological repercussions of doing that for you? Awful, awful disordered eating. Um, I So I was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week, at least once, if not two or three times a week for wrestling for my freshman year. And the first it was actually really interesting because like the first time that I did it when the when the coach first told me, all right, you're going to wrestle 103. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to lose weight. So basically, I just started eating less. Uh, and this was about a month before my first competition for, uh, for high school. And I, just, I lost about four pounds just from eating less. But I was still about five pounds overweight. And this was the day before competition. And so I remember just being unbelievably scared because I was like, this is my first competition. I'm five pounds overweight. And I have to tell my coach I'm not going to make it. And, uh, and he was like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. He's like, just don't drink anything for the rest of practice. And, uh, and you're going to be good. And I remember being like, no, 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 coach, I'm five pounds overweight. I have to weigh in in about like 12 hours. He was like, you're going to be good. I promise. So I went through practice and after not drinking through like a two and a half, three hour practice, I ended up losing about like three pounds. And, uh, but now it's like at the end of that, I was still two pounds overweight. And I was like, I am two pounds over still. Like I'm shocked that I lost three pounds with that, but like I'm still two pounds over. He's like, don't drink the rest of the night. Don't eat the rest of the night. Just go home, go to bed. You're going to be good. And, uh, I woke up the next day, like basically on weight, but I was, I had cotton mouth. I could barely like, I, I, it was awful. It was terrible. And from that point, when I realized I could lose five pounds in about 12, 16 hours, it changes your relationship with food and it changes how you're going to approach dieting in the future. Because why would I spend all month restricting myself even slightly to obtain a goal when I could just lose eight, 10 pounds in a 48 hour window. So that's essentially what happened where I would like go through these periods where I would spend 48 hours, like not eating, barely drinking over exercising. And then in order to make weight and then afterwards I would binge. And, and this is very common in like any weight controlled sport, but especially wrestling, uh, where you see these massive weight cuts followed by huge binges. And I did that for four years in high school. So by the end of that, I just had a terrible relationship with food, binge eating, anorexia had like made myself throw up a couple times. So like not very good that, uh, that I developed that throughout high school. 
And so how did you come out of that? What, what was your changing point? So I struggled with it even after high school, obviously, even when wrestling was over. Um, I remember a point in time. So I started intermittent fasting my senior year of high school. I thought that would help. And I had like really gotten into it. Um, but that actually made it worse because then essentially like it was like, all right, so you're just not going to eat at all during this time period. And then you can have a massive meal later in the day. Um, and so I remember my freshman year of college, I came back for like winter break and I was seriously struggling with binge eating. I was the leanest I'd ever been. And I just had a really off relationship with food. I remember my friends were going out to friendlies and like they were going to get ice cream. And I was, it was like, I, I'm not going to go. I made up an excuse not to go because I was so nervous that going would ruin my progress. And I didn't want to just sit there while they all ate, while they all ate ice cream. I remember being like, what am I doing? Like, I'm 21 years old and I can't even enjoy f ice cream with my friends. And I remember I like went to the bathroom in my mom, in my mom's uh, apartment and I just looked myself in the mirror. I was like, you're done. Like no more. So I made a promise to myself that I, uh, I was going to eat breakfast every day, which at the time scared the shit out of me. Uh, but I knew that by eating breakfast, then I'd be less likely to binge later on because like I saving the calories was what was per perpetuating the binge. So basically from the next mo morning on, I ate breakfast every day. I stopped counting my calories for a little bit and, and that was it. And like from there, I developed a much healthier relationship with food. Did you ever find yourself going back into those habits of like thinking about or actually practicing, um, you know, restricting and or fasting again? Never actually. That was the last time I ever did it. Um, there were periods of time where I just didn't really care about health and fitness and I just ate whatever I wanted to, but never again have I binged, never again have I like overly restricted. I have a very obsessive personality where when I'm focusing on something, I just like go hard on it. But in terms of calorie counting, now I can do it totally fine without an issue. In terms of uh, if I want to diet down and get really lean, I can do it without an issue. But it had to start by me going through a brief period of time in which I didn't count calories and I made myself eat breakfast. Um, I haven't tried intermittent fasting since I stopped doing it, but I'm sure if I wanted to now I could do it very healthily. But for me, it's just, I don't see the point. Right. Um, so what, when you say that you're kind of hyper-focused on things, was there a different outlet that you changed your thought pattern towards when you transitioned out of this restrict binge cycle to focus on something else in your life while you allowed yourself to kind of open your feeding windows and change the habit. Yeah, I actually love that you brought that up because I very much think that if you're going to make a habit or you want to get rid of one habit, you have to replace it with another. And uh, my main focus was on deadlifting four times my body weight, but like then it really became deadlifting four times my body weight. Like that was like all I cared about. It's all I focused on. It's like, I didn't care if I gained weight. I didn't care what my nutrition was really like. And I didn't eat like an asshole, but my focus, every, my purpose, my aim, my goal, everything was just deadlift four times body weight. And when that became my goal, getting stronger in the gym, being like higher level performance, nutrition became less of an obsession and more of just what I do naturally. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's so important. Um, and that's probably something that's allowed you to be better with your clients, especially when their goals change from a fat loss phase, maybe to, you know, putting on muscle or cause you can't diet forever. Right. So you have to, at some point change that pattern. Um, so can you tell me how that kind of enhanced your coaching capabilities and how you interact with your clients? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, I think more or less most people when they come to me, especially they want to lose fat. And I think in the fitness industry, there are like three main goals, right? It's like aesthetic based goals, performance based goals, and, and, and pain prevention or pain reduction based goals. Those are like the three main ones. But even if you want to improve your performance and even if you want to reduce your pain, odds are you still want to look good naked. So it's like most people come to me wanting to lose fat. And I think a lot of coaches in the more recent years have become like anti fat loss. They've been like, no, don't do that. Like fat loss is bad no matter what. And because of that, when a client comes to them and says, I want to lose fat, they'll immediately go to, you shouldn't want to lose fat, which is arguably the dumbest technique you could possibly use with a client. It's like, no, you shouldn't want to do that. It's like, all right, fuck you. I'll find another coach. So it's like, for me, I'm totally fine if a client wants to lose fat and I'm, I'm more than happy to help them do that. I don't think it's a bad goal, but I know without question, it's very easy to develop a dis disordered relationship with food when that's your only focus. 
when fat loss is your sole goal, when that's all you care about, that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's all you care about, that's all you think about. So for me as a coach, it's not to get them to stop thinking about fat loss, it's to get them to think about something else in addition to that. And oftentimes when people start focusing on strength and they start focusing on other goals that are more positive in nature and more something to really strive and achieve for to see like how strong they can become, oftentimes they develop a healthier relationship with food in the process because now they're focused on feeling their body to be strong rather than trying to restrict in order to be to lose fat, which again, it's not bad if you want to to lose fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit, but just this shift in mental focus can help make your relationship with food better. Yeah, I think that's really important and, and to note for everyone is uh, primary and secondary goals. So people that I work with that want to lose fat, I will always have them track some type of strength movement um, so that they are kind of combining each and working hard enough to achieve kind of both the aesthetic and the fat loss uh, purpose of that. Um, so there was something I wanted to say there and I completely forget what it was now. Um, oh, good. I brain fart all the time. That's the worst. Um, but so after you transitioned into this and you got really strong, how did you kind of expand your coaching and, and what did that look like? Was I know that a lot of people know you for being Gary Vee's trainer. I'll be completely honest. When I first found you, it had nothing to do with Gary Vee. <laughs> how did you find me? Um, through your social media, uh, your YouTube channel. I, I fell in love with Kenzie and she was... <laughs> <laughs> she was everything I needed at the time. Um, Kenzie and then, is what everybody needs. <laughs> everybody needs more Kenzie. Like I want to express that, and I have those feelings. And the way <laughs> it's just—it was amazing. It was—it was captivating and, and humorous, and I loved that. Um, but yeah, so how did you kind of get into expanding your coaching empire? Was it really based on Gary, or you know, what? How did that come together for you? No, so I mean, I started coaching Gary in two thousand. 16, but I started my business in 2011. I think that's what a lot of people like they don't realize, especially the people who might find me from Gary. They're like, oh, so you're like, you're pretty new to this thing. I'm like, no, no, no. I started, I started coaching people when I was 14 in what, 2005. And then I started my online coaching business in 2011, in July of 2011, because I was competing. I was, uh, I was competing in powerlifting and I was invited to train at Westside Barbell, which is like for anyone who doesn't know, it's like literally the strongest gym in the world. Their weakest guy squats 800 pounds. And um, I went to go train there in Ohio. And that's really where I started to build a name for myself in the powerlifting community because I was, I'm, I'm a small dude, I'm five foot four, and I was competing in at 132 and I was deadlifting a lot. And my squat was good. It wasn't as good as my deadlift, but my squat was good. And people were like, who's this like tiny kid? that's lifting an obscene amount of weight. And so I ended up, my goal was to deadlift 530 pounds at 132, which I did. And that's where I started to get a lot of people following me for powerlifting. And it happened at the right time because it was 2011, 2012, when powerlifting really started to be a lot more accessible for women too. And, and strength training really started to like be very big among women, like being more empowering for them. And a lot of women, they wanted to get stronger, but they didn't want to get big. So then they see me, this like relatively small guy who's lifting a ton of weight. And they're like, all right, I want to deadlift a lot, but I don't want to get big. And that guy's doing it. So that's sort of how I started to build up not only a, a clientele, but just an audience of people who really just were focused on getting stronger without getting too big. And all I did, I just had a website. I made my website when I was training at Westside Barbell. Uh, I actually, I was 20 or 21 at the time. And I remember my, my mentor at the time, JC Dean, he was like, where are you? And I was like, I'm at training at Westside. And he freaked out because you can't just go there. Like you have to be invited. They only have 14 guys training at any one time. They don't have a sign on the door. Like you don't, they only, you only know where it is if they tell you where it is. And he was like, you have to start a website and like tell people about this. And I was like, I don't know how to start a website. So he literally bought my domain name, sciatfitness.com and he sent it to me and he was like, all right, go. And I was like, what do you mean go? Like, what, what am I doing? And he was like, just write. I was like, write what? He's like, just help people. That's it. That's all he said. That was like the best piece of advice I ever got. And so every week, at least one time a week, usually like two or three, but at least one, I wrote one article every week on strength training or powerlifting or periodization or programming or exercise technique or nutrition. And I did that for years and years and years until I did at least one a week every week from July 2011 until 2015. And then I only only ended up getting the job with Gary because his previous coach followed my content online. 
and he like really liked it and he recommended me to Gary and that's how I got the job. But basically all through college, I just created content for free until by the time I graduated college, I had a self-sustaining online coaching business. That's awesome. And, and I think that's really important for people to hear is <clears throat> it's a long time for you to get to where you are. Uh, in an age where a lot of people look on social media uh, and see people with a lot of following and, and see successful coaches, they feel like it's supposed to happen overnight. Um, and it's, it's years of, of content generation and kind of putting in that work and in, in due diligence to provide uh, trust from your audience, right? There's, there's people that will suggest one thing. And I think that most people, at least for me, when, when I start working with someone or if I'm going to outsource and, and hire someone to help me, it's because they've shown me something that I can trust in over time that's enhanced my life. And then I'm like, okay, now I, I can invest in this because it's, it's what's helping me get to where I want to be, whether it's my personal life or my business life or whatever it is, they're providing me a benefit. And all I had to do was, was do what they were telling me to do. Um, and I think that that's really important and something that's made you very successful in the industry that we're in. Yeah. And I think it's equally important to remember when I first started my website, I didn't know that online coaching was a thing. Like it was 2011. Instagram didn't exist. Facebook was like still relatively new. There wasn't like this online coaching world. And I wasn't making content with the intent for people to become my paying client. I was making content with the intent to help people because of the really good advice I got from my friend and mentor, JC Dean. And I very much believe, I, t I say this all the time, if I started now, after seeing everybody on Instagram and seeing all this stuff and seeing online coaching and seeing people like making a lot of money, I probably would have failed because my goal probably would have been to build an online coaching business and make money from it. And when that's your goal, I'm not saying it's a bad goal, but when that's your focus in the same way that when your focus is fat loss so much that sometimes you get obsessive with it and then you overanalyze the scale, you overanalyze your body fat, you overanalyze one workout in the gym it's very easy to get discouraged and quit because you think it's not working versus when your goal is more help people focused. Now all of a sudden, instead of saying, okay, well I'll make this content and someone better pay me at the end of it. You could say, if someone thanks me at the end of it, I'm winning. If someone just likes it, if someone just says, wow, that piece was really helpful. All of a sudden that's your payment and it means you're doing the right thing. And that's what I think if more people focus on that, they're going to not only build a great business, but more importantly, help a ton of people. Yeah. So I, I want to circle back to something that you talked about and it was your mentors. And one thing I wanted to ask you about was cultivating an empowering environment and how you've done that over time. Um, I think the easiest, there, there are two main things. Number one is I've never had an issue with asking for help ever, like at all. I've never, I think when I was young, when I was a kid, I did, but I was in special education. And so like I was in special education. I really struggled with school. I was not smart. I did. I failed many, many, many classes. Like I almost failed out of high school, almost failed out of college. Um, but early on, I got to a point in school where I was just like, if I'm actually going to make it through high school and I'm actually going to do this, then I need to ask for help. So I did. And so I remember when I was 14 and I asked a gym if I could intern with them, the first gym actually said no. They were like, our clients don't want a high school kid walking around. And I remember like being devastated and my mom being like, my mom, be, like I, I was devastated to go back home and I was like, they said no. My mom said, okay, so now what? I was like, what do you mean now what? She was like, what's the next gym you're going to apply to? And I was like, I, I remember in that moment, that was a very life-changing moment for me realizing like, am I just going to sit here and complain and dwell or am I just going to find another solution now? And like that, I always try and carry that with me. So I never had an issue with asking for help. I asking for internships saying I'll work for free. I mean, I, there, I was, I've been denied from way more internships than I've been accepted, but people only see the ones I was accepted to. I was, I got the one when I was a 14 year old, I got the internship at Westside Barbell. I got the gym, the internship at Cressy performance and those are three of the major internships that shaped my entire life. But I asked to intern under Martin Burke and I asked to intern under Alan Aragon. I asked to intern under Lyle McDonald and all of these were denied. And it's like, I'm actually good friends with each and every one of them now, but 
all the internships were denied before. And if I said no, if, or if I just like quit after that, then nothing would have happened. You have to keep asking. And I think a lot of people struggle because they struggle to ask for help. It's like, be okay working for free and be okay asking for help. That's, it's just massively important. I think the more that you can do those two things, the better you're going to set yourself up for success and the better you're going to set yourself up to help more people. And I think one really important thing that you said there is accepting no and knowing that it's okay. Because at some point that's going to lead you closer to a yes and not being afraid to kind of stick your neck out there and expect a yes, uh, but be humble by someone saying no and, and take it as an opportunity for you to grow in another avenue. That when you circle back, those relationships might come to fruition, but you're not at that point yet. A hundred percent. And I think that's amazing. Uh, I really, really do. Um, so one thing that we've talked about before, and I think that this comes back down to these decisions that you've made, is self-efficacy. Can you talk a little bit about how that has impacted your life, and even on a personal level or business level, whatever you feel comfortable discussing? Yeah, no, I love that. And I love that you asked that because nobody talks about this, and it's like the most important aspect of succeeding in anything. Um, self-efficacy is essentially it's, it's your belief in your ability to succeed, right? And so a lot of people hear that they think it's the same as confidence. They're very similar. It's slightly different. It's your belief in your ability to succeed at a given task. And the way that I, I always frame it is this, it's like, imagine if I told you that if you spent $10,000 today on lottery tickets, you had a 99% chance of winning the mega millions even if you didn't have $10,000 in your bank account, you would find a way to raise that $10,000 because it's basically free money. Like you're going to win a million dollars at a 99% chance. But if I told you that if you raise $10,000, you have a 20% chance of winning the mega millions. You, I mean, it's still a great chance, but you're probably not going to do it. You're probably not going to like spend that money, spend the time to do it. And it comes from the belief in your ability to succeed. And you see this all the time with fat loss, people who, struggle to be consistent, oftentimes it's not because they don't know what to do and it's not because they don't want to do it. It's because they very often don't believe that it's possible for them. Whether maybe they've tried a hundred different things and they've tried, they've tried this, they've tried that, like nothing has worked. And a lot of times it hasn't worked because they haven't been consistent or because they've been trying the things that have been very short term in nature and they haven't been exposed to something that's actually longer term and more sustainable. But either way, they don't believe they can succeed. And whether you're working with a fat loss client or trying to build your business or trying to build a relationship, if you in your heart don't believe it's going to work, then you're not going to put in the time and the effort in order to make it work. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is why I think the number one job of a coach in any aspect is to first and foremost improve their self-efficacy, to help them get to a point which they believe in themselves. Because working from there, you can do anything. Someone could have all the knowledge in the world. They could know exactly what to do, but if they don't believe in their ability to do it, it's not going to happen. I think that is, that's super powerful. And, and one avenue that I've, I've found that it's been enhancing for me is understanding the negative sides of that as well and understanding what provokes negative thought patterns or negative actions or forces you to take pause. And if you can understand what triggers that type of action or lack of, uh, you can start incorporating habits that allow you to break away from that while enhancing your productivity or, or quality of content or kind of tuning out the voices that say like, you know, imposter syndrome, like I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm not in it long enough. Um, and these are things that I've struggled with that we've talked about over time uh, as well. So I just think that that's important. And do you think, that that is a big factor that kind of amplified your business. At what point did you really start paying attention to it and were you allowed to, to allow that to manifest? So I started really paying attention to self-efficacy in about my junior year of college when I really started to get more into motivational interviewing and just behavioral psychology. Um, but if you look at everything that I've done, you can always trace it back to self-efficacy always. And, and at, to any time I've succeeded in anything, it's been because I've always, and this is also tightly related. Uh, it's also like closely related and tied to pessimism versus optimism, right? Like, and you know, like if, if you're a pessimist, you're always going to find a reason why you're not good enough. 
find a reason why you shouldn't take an action, find a reason why someone will be better than you, why it's not worth it. If you're an optimist, there will always be a reason why it's worthwhile. There will always be a reason why you should do something. And if we come back to the foundation of all of this, which is, well, what's the only way you can succeed? The only way you can succeed is by taking action. That's it. Like you will never succeed by doing nothing. So for me, how can I get people to take more action? I have to find a way to help them believe in themselves more. And really what that oftentimes mean is oftentimes reframing their mindset from being a pessimist to an optimist, right? And, and that's really what it boils down to is if you're spending all of your time pessimistic and negative and thinking that either everyone's out to, de- to get you or you're not good enough or what's the point, then why in the hell would you be taking action? But if you're spending your time in a mind frame of, this might not have the effect that I want it to now, but I know it's going to be helpful long-term. And even if it only helps one person and maybe that one person is me, even if it just helps one person, maybe that's myself, it's worth it. Even if it helps one person that I don't know the name of, even if it helps one person and they don't even tell me that it helped them, it's worth it. Right. And like, that's really what you have to, you have to break down. It's like, get to the point where you have to, and sort of like my mom, like when I got back from the internship and they said like, no, we don't want you. And I was in a pessimistic mindset. I was like, it's done. Like, what's the point? It's not going to get it. And her mindset goes, now what? That's the best question you can ask yourself. It's just two words. Like now what? At any point in time. Now, like, are you just, cool? Like now what? You're in a bad, are you going to post or not? Are you going to go to the gym or not? Are you going to improve your diet or not? It's like, now what? And there's your answer. Like, and your answer to that is going to be, are you being pessimistic or optimistic? And then you have a choice. And I think, well, everything that you're saying is like just tearing at my heartstrings. <laughs> um, but one thing uh, that you've talked to me about a lot in private is emotional versus logical responses. And so when you've gone through really trying times or, or points where you feel your back's kind of against the wall or you're feeling overwhelmed maybe. And I don't know if you get like this or not. Um, but if you have, what, what do you do to kind of bring yourself back? I have a conversation with myself and and this is something where I I spent a long time talking about this on social media. I, I haven't spoken about it recently, but I think I should. I think there's an unbelievable amount of power in having an out loud conversation with yourself. Um, I think when we're in a darker time or a period of time that's difficult or we're feeling overwhelmed or anxious, we often tend to isolate ourselves. We pull away, which is ironically the worst thing you can do because the more you pull yourself away, the more you just stay stuck in here. And then you have these conversations in here that make literally no fucking sense. Like they're made up nonsense. And it's oftentimes just beating yourself down, creating scenarios that haven't happened yet. This idea of like, just either you're a loser or something awful is going to happen or whatever it is. And for me, I have to be practical as a coach, right? So I can't be like, well, just don't isolate yourself because that's terrible advice. Cause I know people are going to isolate themselves. I know it. So my goal isn't to say like, you shouldn't isolate yourself, get out there because it's a very difficult, big step to take. Just, all right, you want to isolate yourself? Don't that's not really good advice as a coach. So for me, it's like, cool. So maybe they're going to isolate themselves, but what can I get them to do? That's going to help them see this logical versus emotional side. Speak. Don't just stay in here. And I mean, literally speak out loud as though you're speaking to a friend or even just like speaking to yourself. And if you really like break it down, oftentimes if we're, if you think like about the conversations you have with yourself, it's almost like there's two people involved, right? Like we have our instinctual self and then we have like our brain self. That's like two different people. We have the one that our heart and gut wants to do. And then we have the one that the brain is like, maybe you shouldn't, here's why. And we have this constant battle and conversation going on. And all I want you to do is just speak and have that conversation. And if you're ever anxious or worried or feeling defensive or whatever, at the very least, just out loud, explain what you're feeling and why. Just literally out loud, vocally say it as though you were talking to a friend because oftentimes, eventually, whether you're going through a breakup, whether you're struggling with your business, you're struggling with your fitness, when you eventually do talk about it with your coach or a friend or a family member or a colleague, whatever, usually you end up, they're like, what's going on? Just talk to me. Like, I know something's going on. Your first words out of your mouth are usually to the effect of, well, I know this is going to sound silly, but... And then the reason you say that is because as you're trying to formulate the words, you realize that it's ridiculous and you've made this whole big thing up in your head. And as soon as you're explaining it and they're like, really, that's what you're worried about? Like, why are you worried about that? That's not going to happen. You're like, I know, I know, but da, 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 da. It's like, 
the more you can have that conversation with yourself before it takes a week or a month or a year to get to that point where you have the conversation with someone else, you can realize how ridiculous it sounds, oftentimes reduce your anxiety. And then from there, you're going to be less likely to isolate yourself. And then there you take that step. So for me, it's not don't isolate yourself. It's bring yourself to that logical conclusion. Then you're not going to want to isolate yourself anymore. I think that's really, really important. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. It's hard to rationalize uh, what you and separate your emotional response from your logical one. I mean, oftentimes I'll tell people, whatever you're feeling is valid. Like it's fine. You can feel that, but don't let it manifest to a point where you just stop taking action, whatever it is that you want, because at some point that's just going to stimulate some, some negative responses into more negative feelings on how you think about yourself or how you think other people think about you because you've stopped investing in the one thing, even though it's not going the way you think it should, or you wanted it to. Um, it's, it's taking away time that you could be putting in towards getting better at that one thing, whatever it is. Um, and so I think that that's super important and just being able to divide those thoughts, but it's easier said than done. Uh, much easier said than done. I'm someone who's kind of in between those things. Like I have a logical brain and I, I tap into that. I try to, uh, but I'm also more emotional and, and I care a lot about maybe more so what other people might think of me uh, versus what I think of myself. And that's something that's kind of negatively impacted my progress of uh, things that I want to accomplish. And so being aware of that and kind of taking taking control over the outcome of whatever situation uh, that I want to be in and or don't want to be in um, is, is something that I'm really focused on. Kind of. I think you also struggle with, and a lot of people struggle with this, is not wanting to hurt someone else's feelings. Yes. It's like not wanting to step on anyone else's toes, not wanting to hurt someone else's feelings, not wanting to jeopardize a relationship, even if it's at the expense of yourself. And I think a lot of people very much struggle with that. They're like, they're willing to almost sacrifice their own success in order to, God forbid, step on someone's toes or jeopardize another relationship. And oftentimes what that does is, even though you're afraid to do it, it still builds up resentment inside of you because, and it's at no fault of the other person, it's all like your own fault, right? Where it's like, because you're not addressing it with them and or you're not doing what you need to do, you're not going as far as you could. And when you're not going as far as you could because you're not addressing it with them, now you start to resent them, even though they might not have any idea, which is why it's so important. And it's, again, it's easier said than done, but I, I'm not saying don't care about other people or don't care about hurting other people or don't care about stepping on someone's toes. But in the same way that you were saying, don't let your emotions sort of manifest into not taking action. It's the exact same thing. If you're having an emotion about someone or you feel like you don't want to hurt their feelings or step on their toes, but that is also preventing you from doing what you know you could do and what you want to do, then don't let that emotion prevent you from speaking with them or taking the action that you need to do for what's best for you. Anyone watching the video of this, like you just, it's, it's so, it's so great. It's so powerful. And it's, it's something that is again, like, it's just hard to practice because you have to be able to take the logical step and just kind of let go of that fear and allow and understand that decisions that you make for yourself. Um, if someone feels negatively towards you because you're doing what is best for you, then that person didn't really have your, your best interest at heart. That's right on the baseline and that's something that's really hard to wrap around like you might care about someone so much and you think that they care about you so much and then you do kind of something that's best for you and it's going to enhance your life and quality overall and if they're upset about that um, that says more about them than it says about you uh, and that's kind of hard but that brings me to my next question which is what are some of the toughest business decisions that you've had to make or even personal life decisions but things of that nature the toughest decisions. Well, I mean, very recently I decided to stop coaching Gary Vaynerchuk. That was one of the harder ones that I've had to make uh, for a number of reasons. Number one is I'm very good friends with Gary. I'm very good friends. I consider him a part of my family. I've, I know his, his wife and I know his kids and I lived in his house for a long time. I've gone vacations with him. Like, uh, and literally it was with him seven days a week for three years straight. And, uh, when you leave that type of a relationship, you automatically worry like, well, is it going to be over? Like, are we ever going to talk again? Is he going to be mad? All this stuff. But it got to a point where not only was my business taking a hit, but my health was taking a hit because of it. 
and I just had to do it. Like it just had to be done. It had to get to a point where I was like, Hey, like I love you and I'm always here for you. But I, for, for me, like this has to happen. And he could not have been more supportive. He could not have been like so much. He was super happy for me. And he, there are people who will go the other way. There are people who'd be like, how dare you? That's so bad. Like whatever. I thought we were friends, but it got to a point where I basically had to have a, I had a conversation with myself and his assistant before I did it, where I, where I had to realize this is the decision I'm going to make. And I have to be prepared for either of those responses. Like I just have to be okay with either of them and sort of come to that almost face the worst case scenario before it possibly happens. And you have to ask yourself like, what is the worst possible scenario? And then what happens then? That's it. And when you face it ahead of time, then it's okay. And oftentimes I'd say probably like 80 to 85% of the time, it's never as bad as the worst case scenario you make up in your head ever. And as long as you're open and honest about it and you tell them what you want to do and why you want to do it and that you love them and you're there for them. And, but this is what you need to do for you. Most people are going to very much support that and encourage that there will be people who don't, but like you were saying, if they're one of the people that don't, you don't want them in your life anyway. And I think that's very, very hard for people, especially if it's someone that you have a history with, whether it's a boss or a partner or a family member, whatever, like maybe earlier in your life, it was a very good relationship and it was very close and very connected. But as time went on and people go their separate ways, things changed. And I think it's very easy to get nostalgic and emotional about how it used to be rather than how it is now. And because of that, we oftentimes, when you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or you don't want to step on their toes or you want to stay loyal to someone, then it, discourages you and it inhibits you from doing what you know you need to do. So for me, it got to a point where I was like, yeah, I just, I got to do this. And I think it was, I don't think, I know it was one of the best decisions of my life. Uh, and we could talk about how we spoke about earlier, how when you have one habit, you can replace it with another habit. I mean, since I stopped coaching Gary, I've like almost replaced it entirely with jujitsu, which has made me exponentially happier, like doing jujitsu like four or five, six times a week and made me healthier. I'm getting more sleep now. So it's just like, because of that, I can do so much more. And that's also improved my relationship with Gary because towards the end, it was very iffy. There was a lot of resentment. And now because there's no expectations on either end, we can actually have a really good relationship because neither of us hold any resentment. That's hard. That's just a hard conversation to have. And I think that when you talked about kind of anticipating the outcomes in, in the worst case scenario, regardless, and being able to accept that, Mm -hmm. It's something that's really hard overall. That's something that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want it to happen, but at the same time, you not being able to accept that is you accepting something else that's serving you less quality in your overall life. And at some point in your life, you have to live for yourself because no one else is going to support you. No one else is going, and I don't mean like from an emotional standpoint, I mean like your overall success or the message or legacy that you leave behind, like you have to develop that. Um, you can't wait for other people to do that for you or to care enough about you. Like even, it doesn't matter how much, some, how much somebody cares, uh, it, they can't do the work for you and they can't want it more than you want it for yourself. And I find that's one of the hardest parts of coaching um, is sometimes you want something for a client um, more than they might be invested in it at that point for themselves. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next, my next series of questions is, is what has been the hardest parts of coaching for you? Great question. I would say one of the hardest parts was learning that sort of just like you were saying, there will be some people that you work with that are not ready. There will be some people that they're not at a point in their life in which they're ready or willing or able to actually commit to what you need. And that's okay. And I think it, the sooner you realize that, the better. And it's why through my coaching process, I came up with various questions and questionnaires and screens to speak with them before we decided to work together to do my best to figure out if they are at a point in which they want, they are ready and willing and able to make a change. And sometimes I would catch in that process, someone that might not be ready for it. And other times people would sneak through and they would get through it. And then we'd find out through coaching that it wasn't a good fit. And it sort of plays into the other one, which is not every coach is right for every client there are going to be people that you're just, you don't click with in the same way. Like you you shouldn't 
be marrying every person you meet. You shouldn't be dating every person you meet. You shouldn't be a business partner with everybody you meet. There are going to be coaches that are not fit for certain clients and clients that are not fit for certain coaches just based on personality or coaching style or goals or whatever it is. And I know for me, when I was younger, it was a very hard pill to swallow because I wanted to help everybody. Not only did I want to help everybody, I also had an ego attached to it being like, I'm a fucking good coach. I should be able to help everybody. And when someone came along that I wasn't either the right fit for or good enough to help, it hit me deeply. Because number one, I really wanted to help that person. Number two, I was like, what does this say about me as a coach? Like if I couldn't help this person, does that automatically mean I'm a bad coach? And I think in the same way, when someone comes to you for fat loss, you want to set them up with the realistic expectations. You want to say like, listen, there are going to be times that you're hungry. There are going to be times when you're tired. There are going to be times maybe your hands and fingers are cold, whatever it is. Like you tell them what to expect that when it happens, they don't think they're failing. I think as a coach, it's really important to know that there will be clients that you work with that are not a good fit and you won't be able to help them because if they know it now, then when it does happen, they're not as devastated by it and they don't just think that they're a failure. They can more just sort of, sort of, hit it off their shoulder and just keep going. Right. It's like, cool. It happened, done. It hurt, but it is what it is. Keep going. And it's, it's important to realize I'm not telling anybody not to let it hurt you. Right. It's like, you can feel however you want to feel, but don't let that feeling of hurt prevent you from helping more people and from continuing to get better as a coach and from chasing what you want to achieve. I think that's also like super important is understanding And my, my goal in coaching isn't to have, clients forever either. I just had this conversation the other day with a client that I've been working with for over a year and her goal was to fix her relationship with food, uh, build more muscle, focus on strength and progressions. And we got to a point where she was done tracking. She's intuitive, intuitively eating. Her strength is going up over time. Um, and she feels confident, not even tracking a, a thing, maintaining weight, doing great. And we had this conversation where, you know, her package had ended and I was like, you're at a point where I don't, you don't need me anymore. You, you know what to do. You, you can trust yourself. And she was beyond grateful at first, kind of confused, but grateful for the fact that it was like, you're right. I mean, every week it's like, we don't need to do anything. Keep doing this. Like you're doing all the things. And at some point it's like, I've taught that person how to sustain their, their, what they need. Now, if they want to come back and ask a question, they will. Um, but I think that that overall has to be a goal for coaches as well as it's not to just keep having these never ending clients continue to sign up and sign up and sign up. It's to teach them through the coaching journey, what it is that their goal is, how to sustain it, how to make it into their lifestyle by understanding their habits and thought processes, and then allowing them to continue that on their own. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's, that's, um, I don't know. That was just a really cool conversation getting to that. I love that. It's huge. I think a lot of coaches, they, it's, they struggle with that, right? They struggle with it from the perspective of on one hand, I think any good coach would have the same thought process as you. I also think any coach that wants to build a business gets worried at the same time because they're like, I don't want you to leave. Cause like, what's that's going to do to my business. So I think a lot of coaches have that cognitive dissonance of like, okay, on one hand, I don't want you to stay forever. Cause I know this is what's right from a coaching perspective and your health perspective. On the other hand, for my business, like I don't want you to leave because I don't want my business to be hurt. But I think the more that coaches do what you did and tell people that it's time to go, or it's like, you don't need me anymore. Number one, the better you're going to feel about it, like the better you feel about it. And overall, and this is something that probably is not popular in like the marketing guru crowd, but from building a sustainable business that's really has a great foundation of trust and loyalty from within the, the people that you work with and the audience, you know, it's the best thing you could do because from a long-term perspective, people will trust you. They'll admire you. I guarantee that person will come back to you at a certain point. They'll speak very highly of you. They'll send more people your way. I think doing the right thing, like Gary says, doing the right thing is always the right thing, not just for other people, but also for yourself. And if you're stuck in the mindset of only doing something because of business and not doing what's right for that individual, you'll feel awful about it and it won't, it won't have the best results. And I think people underestimate the power of word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Huge. People talk about you to their friends, to their family, uh, to their significant other, um, on social media, on their own like outlets and stuff like that. I think that making sure that 
number one, I, I have my own like self mantras. I'll tell myself every day, no matter how I feel, be a good person and do the right thing. No matter how I feel, no matter how anxious or upset or angry I might be, be a good person and do the right thing. Never yeah. have to let me down. Um, and so I think even though it might be kind of scary, like for me, I, I don't have a huge business. I don't have hundreds of clients. I, I do my best to provide quality content uh, and help people and, and teach them. That's, that's one thing I think is kind of under acknowledged is being able to teach people not only about health and fitness and fat loss, but like self-awareness strategies and being able to understand what your habits are because people focus a lot on building really good habits. Oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. But in order to build a good habit, sometimes it's because you need to stop doing this and stop doing that and be aware of these negative habits and tendencies that you have. And being more aware of that is going to allow you to build new habits and allow you to enhance your life and stop debilitating the progress that you know you are more than capable of, of seeing. Um, and so I think that overall, like that's something that for me is, is still hard and I'm, I'm human. Like I'm, you know, trying to build a business and it's, it's hard to be like, Hey, you're at that point where you need to walk away. Like you don't need the training wheels anymore. Like you are good to go. Uh, but I truly believe that that will come around full circle at some point and you know, make me better uh, at what I do and being able to do it. Um, so I think that that's just me rambling about something. No, I love it. I think you're right. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Uh, well, I don't have any more specific questions for you, uh, but tell people where to find you. And do you have any upcoming things for this year? I know you just did a YouTube on like your New Year's goals. Mm -hmm. um, what is something that you are in a personal standpoint, not necessarily health and fitness related, unless you want to go down that avenue, but things for you as a person uh, that you have goals with? Uh, I want to get my blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that's something I'm looking forward to, hopefully getting. And I want to do, I'm doing a lot more speaking over the next year. I'm really excited about it. So have a seminar coming up in Calgary and then Ireland and Australia and the United Kingdom. So I'm really excited about that because it's interesting. When I first started getting into the online world, and I think a lot of people get excited about this, they like the idea of working from anywhere. And they like the idea of just working from their computer. But the more that I've worked online, the more that I've missed working with people in person. And I, I really love going to do speaking events because I love interacting with people and I love coaching them in person. And I love doing like an hour session on program design or deadlift performance or squat performance or whatever, and then taking them in the gym and coaching them through it. And it's just like, it's so interesting how we go full circle in this stuff. I was like, sometimes coaches, they just only want to be online. And I did that for years. And now the more that I do that, it's like, yeah, I really actually want to coach people in person now and do it in different ways. So I'm really excited about that. And you, mentor people for building their businesses, right? Yes. Yep. So you haven't talked a lot about that, but that is a question that I do have for you is like, how long have you been doing that? And what does that process look like for you? Cause I know people hear about this and it's like, join my mastermind when you build your business. Um, and so that's something that I, I had a question on cause I, I've heard you talk about it a little bit, but never really in depth. Yeah. You know, it's, I never really like to push it too much for a number of reasons. I think because I'm, I'm more interested in fitness. I'm more interested in like coaching people for fitness. Um, I remember the first time someone asked me to coach them on business, it was 2014. And I had, I had a business for three years at that time and I was doing well, but like still very young and early in it. And I remember just, they were like, how much do you charge for business coaching? And I was like, honestly, let's just get on the phone once a month and I'll get, tell you what to do. And, and for free, like without any charge. And when I saw that person, his name is Ryan. He still does coaching. Uh, he lives in Boston. When I saw that person start to grow and do the right thing and post on social media and get clients and see those clients results and their testimonials, it felt really cool for me because I was like, maybe none of those people would have ever been helped if they didn't find Ryan first through him doing his social media. And so that's one of the reasons I love doing it because for me, my main goal is always to help as many people as possible. There's only so many people I can help with fitness. So if I can make coaches better and help reach more people, then it's still sort of my reach in a way. So I really like that. Um, what I, I mean, basically, so I don't even know what the question was actually now that I think about it. Like, what do you, what do you want to know about the business side of it? So 
how do you, what does that look like for you? Like your coaching mentorships? Like I said, the, there's always this like join my mastermind and quit. Oh getting, yeah. You know, invest in this and you're going to grow a six figure business. Like, so what, <laughs> what does it look like for you? I hate that stuff. I really do. I really hate the like, all right, we're going to get like six figures in 60 days with this mastermind. Da, da, da. It's like, if you're falling for that stuff, then you can never get mad at your client for falling for like the six pack in 60 days nonsense because you're literally doing the exact same shit. So the way that I very much believe a coach should build their online platform or any platform is to first start by being a great coach. Like that's number one. And it's sort of like how self-efficacy is the foundation of being successful in terms of like whatever you want to achieve. We could go back to if you are not a good coach, but you have the ability to create a wonderful system and advertising platform and all this stuff, like you're not going to succeed. Definitely not for very long because you're going to feel like an imposter and you're not going to trust in your abilities as a coach. The first thing you have to do is be a really good coach and it takes time. And so for me, when I work with people, either in my like mentorship is teach them how to do program design, teach them how to actually coach people nutritionally, teach them about behavior change, teach them about psychology, teach them about like actual, actual individualization as a coach. Cause I think what a lot of coaches suck at is I think there's a really amazing parts of social media and in the fitness industry, which I think more information is available now than ever. And I think there's much more knowledge that's readily available and people can more easily spot out nonsense. I think one thing that's happened as a result of it is so many people have now been able to be involved in fitness that now a lot more people want to be involved in fitness professionally. And the barrier of entry is unbelievably small. And so it's very easy for anyone to say they're a coach. And as a result, you have a lot of people saying they're a coach without any background or experience in coaching or very, very little aside from maybe looking at someone else's swipe workouts on Instagram and that's hardly experience. And so for me, my main goal is to first and foremost, build their ability as a coach and build their confidence as a coach. Because once you do that, the rest is very simple. It's just share that knowledge. And that's it. It's just finding ways to share it. And it's on, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or a podcast or Twitter or, or TikTok, whatever it is. I hate TikTok. I can't stand it. I tried. I just, I've I can't do it. I just waste four hours at it on it at a time because I go on it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to post. And then I just end up four hours later being like, oh, wow, I looked at a bunch of nonsense and that was actually pretty funny. Um, for me, as long as you build the foundation of a great coach, that opens up so many more doors, right? Because once you have a great coach, they have a better ability of understanding what people need, what people are struggling with, how to help in different people, how to individualize, and then content creation can become so much more easy. Absolutely. I think that's, that's great. And it's different. Um, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, when they run these masterminds, they guarantee kind of these quick fixes and it's going to happen over. Oh, it's so bad. Give me $10,000. I'll tell you what to do. Um, and I think that unfortunately it's that, I think that there's a lot of Mm, fluff, I guess, is, is the... That was a very nice way of saying it. <laughs> out there, both in just training nutrition fallacies and, and stuff like that, um, and trying to feel like you're, you deserve to be where somebody else is uh, based on whatever your following might be. And so one thing I, I can say for myself is I've shifted the content that I put out on my social media and what I get to see that a lot of people other people don't see is shifting that from more when I developed it, it was, it was mostly like I got a big following from being really good at basketball, five foot four, maybe. Um, and I played division one. So I have a lot of skills training videos and stuff like that that I posted. And that's kind of how I grew my following. Um, after getting into bodybuilding and then prep coaching and lifestyle coaching, I've, I've shifted and I didn't really have all the confidence to stop posting about me because a lot of people that followed me, um, it's, it's for the vanity of it. Like I'm just being honest. Um, and my, my audience was primarily men. Um, and over, I'll say the last year, my number of followers has only gone up, you know, maybe a thousand, but the entire audience has shifted from men mostly, uh, to more women, um, and the age differences now. And, and that's kind of what people don't see when you shift content or, or really know who you're talking to, um, and who you want to target. And it's, I had someone ask me the other day, they're like, Hey, your business can't really be growing. You've been stuck at the same following plus or minus for you know a couple of years. And I'm like, but what you don't see is the behind the scenes stuff. Yep. Uh, I, 
even like when I'll make infographics or now I, I use Twitter, thanks to you, uh, and I'll screenshot some of my tweets. And even though they might not have actually my best like post now uh, is a Twitter post. Oh, so crazy. Who would have thought? And it's not the number of likes necessarily, but the number of shares and the number of DMs and the people that it helped. Um, I think people get caught up in like what the other person on the other side can see as far as it being, you know, good or bad content. But if you can look at the insights of that and how many people it's helped, how many people are saving that for themselves or sending it to friends or, or those types of things, like that's, that's provided me as a person and me as a coach much more benefit than trying to focus on oh, well, this is what worked for me because I'm somewhat good looking and have muscles as a girl. Like, you know, I don't, if you look at my content, I don't post ass shots. I, and A, like don't have one that's competitive with girls on there. And B, that's not the message that I'm trying to send to people. Um, and so I think having clarity in your intent and in, in what the content is that you're putting out is really important. Uh, and then kind of swallowing that ego of like, I'm scared to post and I don't know if it's good. And uh, I, that's something I had to kind of let go of and just like start whatever I thought, just put it out. Uh, and it's, it's definitely provided more benefit, which I can mm-hmm. help me kind of get over that mental hurdle. Number of followers and amount of likes are the two most overrated aspects of social media in terms of building a business number of likes on a video or a picture a number of followers you have they're sort of like the scale they matter and like it's good data to have but it does not tell you anything about the composition of your body right you could have two people weigh the same amount but one person is just shredded to bits and tons of muscle and the other person is much higher body fat very weak not very like it's it is one aspect of data and the shares the dms the messages the comments the the saves on it those are much more indicative of what's going on not to mention what's going on on the back end and i literally spoke with someone the other day who has less than 3000 3 he has fewer than 3000 followers on instagram and he makes over 40 million a year like just and I know people who have over a million followers on Instagram and they still live with their parents. It's like, it's a tool and it's helpful. But if you're judging someone's, the success of their business based on the number of followers they have, you are unbelievably ignorant. And if you're doing that to yourself, you're unbelievably ignorant. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's not a metric to be obsessed over. And it's not something that, I, th- I love what you said, how even if your audience went down even if you lost total number of followers but you had you went from like 80 percent men 20 percent women to 80 percent women 20 percent men i guarantee your business would have grown massively and you'd be helping more people and you'd be creating bigger income and maybe able to employ people like just that shift in audience and people who's seeing it says way more about what you're doing than the total number of followers at the top of your screen it's it's way more important and i just I don't really give a fuck about how many followers are there, how many likes it gets. It's just, it's more or less irrelevant. Yeah. And I think something that you've told me before is put out content without any expectation because it's not about you. It's about the person that you're trying to help. hundred percent. If it helped you, it will probably help somebody else. Um, and because I think people forget that even as coaches, we're human and, and talking about personal struggles and things like that. If you can kind of logically get it into a place where it makes sense and put it out how you went through that kind of logic based on that emotional response, someone's going to resonate with that. 100%. Someone kind of be more objective in whatever it is that they're going through. So that's one of the things that I've started being more aware of as I kind of become more aware of myself. Because uh, I do think, like you had mentioned before, I just think self-efficacy is, is much underrated in success in any avenue that someone is trying to, to get to. I agree. I absolutely agree. All right. Last plug, uh, Jordan, you are running the Inner Circle. And I think that this is kind of a different platform than I'm used to. I work more in personal one-on-one coaching. Um, and you've kind of expanded that to the inner circle. So what is that for people that might not be familiar with it? What does coaching on there look like for you? Um, and, and yeah, give me a little bit more details about that. Well, I'll start by saying this. I don't want anybody to buy the inner circle if they've just found me here. And I, I would much rather you go look at my free content because I give away everything for free. So I appreciate you bringing it up, but like no one buy it at all unless you first agree and like my content. The inner circle is my my fitness membership. It's $24.99 a month. 
new workouts every month, new nutrition every month. We have, I think the best part about it is the group community, the accountability that we have on Facebook and, but we have a, a annual retreat every year in Austin, Texas, and just like a lot of stuff every month goes out into the new, new workouts, new nutrition. Um, but that's really it. And it's, it's an extraordinary community. I'm beyond blessed to have it. And the people inside of it are like my family. Um, and that's really where for me, I find I, I was doing a lot of one-on-one and I love it and I still love it, but I realized number one, not everyone can afford 300, 400, $500 a month. And not to mention it one-on-one is severely lacking in group accountability and having sort of like that community and the research on that is just overwhelming in terms of having a positive environment and people around you doing a similar thing and similar goal. So that's why I really wanted to get that community in there at a very low cost to make it accessible to more or less everybody. Uh, and so that's why I have it. But again, no one buy it until you look at my content first. And if you like it and if you enjoy it, then we can discuss it. But I don't ever encourage anybody to buy anything from me until they first look at my free content. Yeah, I think that's amazing. That says a lot about the person that you are. Um, so yeah, if you guys aren't familiar, like I said, if you aren't familiar with Jordan Syatt, uh, look at his Instagram. You need to be on his YouTube channel and <laughs> look at all the videos where he's wearing a wig. <laughs> um, you'll resonate a ton with them and, and find some humor and theological fallacies that you generate in your head. Uh, but thank you for coming on and talking to me and giving a lot of insight. Um, last thing that I want you to say is any takeaway, the one message that you could send to someone right now in this moment uh, based on our conversation, what would you want it to be? I would say probably my most popular phrase, which is you can't fuck this up. It's like, doesn't matter if you go over your calories. Doesn't matter if you miss a week or a month or a year of working out. Doesn't matter if you are, if you don't post for a week or a month or a year for your business, you only, you only fail if you quit ever. And there's, it's never too late to get back on track. It's never, you're, you're only ever one bite away from your next like on track meal. You're only one workout away. You're only one post away, one conversation away from the person you need to have that talk with. It's like, you only fail if you quit. And the more you realize that you can't fail, then the more you'll succeed because anything in which you previously perceived to be failure now just becomes another stepping stone. Awesome. I think that that's amazing. So thank you, Jordan. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah.